Welcome to Swarupa Vidya Ashram. My name is Swami Nirmalananda. Each audio is a discourse, but I offered at a satsang a free meditation program and was followed by meditation. These teachings address the underlying questions of life. Who am I? Why am I here? How do I do what I came here to do? I went to my guru with these same questions. While he gave me the teachings I share here, most importantly, he gave me the inner experience they describe. This is why I teach, to share the same with you, both the theory and the inner experience of your own inherent divinity. The bliss of consciousness is your birthright. Meditate and discover that you are greater than you could ever imagine. Om Namah Shivaya Gurabe Satchidananda Murtaye Nishpapanchaya Shantaya Niralambaya Tejase Muktanandaya Gurabe Shisha Samsara Harani Bhakta Karyaika Dehaya Namaste Chitsaratmane Eta Beja Gatameva Samsara Nava Setave Prabha Vesabhavidyanam Shambhave Gurave Namaha Guru Brahma Guru Vishnu Guru Devo Maheshvara Guru Sakshat Para Brahma Tasmai Shri Gurave Namaha Om Svarupa Svasvabhava Namo Namaha Om I bow to my own self. I bow to my Baba's own self. I bow to his Baba's own self. I bow to your own self. Your own self, your own essence, your own shivaness. Again and again I bow. Om Svarupa Svasvabhava Namo Namaha. Finding God Within. I have the pleasure of introducing a new theme for us to explore this month. I usually base my Sunday discourse on the teachings article that I publish at the beginning of each month, and a new one came out yesterday. Who or what is God? It's a big question, one we've been working up to all year long in the theme of big questions. Who or what is God? So we're going to spend the month talking about God and how appropriate it is for December. With so many God-centered holy days, there are more of them than you probably imagine. December 6th, tomorrow, is St. Nicholas Day, commemorating his birthday in 270 AD. He was known for his gift-giving and is now associated with Santa Claus. 
going on now until December 6th is Hanukkah, eight nights of candle lighting to commemorate the rededication of the temple in Jerusalem in 164 BCE. December 8th is Bodhi Day from around 500 BCE, the day that Siddhartha Gautama vowed to sit under the Bodhi tree until he attained enlightenment. Interesting that they commemorate the day of his vow, not the day he got enlightened, which was only three days later. How important is a vow? December 12th, the feast day of Our Lady of Guadalupe, commemorating the day that Juan Diego first saw the vision of Mother Mary in 1531. December 21st is the solstice, but it's a pagan holy day, meaning it's an earth-based religious tradition, which was traditionally celebrated by lighting candles, bringing a pine tree inside and decorating it, holding processions and giving gifts. Many of these traditions were incorporated into Christmas by 350 AD. And December 25th, Christmas, celebrating Jesus' birth in 3 BCE. From December 26th through January 1st is the celebration of Kwanzaa, which is a celebration of life coming from Africa. And each of the days has a different theme, unity, self-determination, collective work and responsibility, cooperative economics, purpose, creativity, and faith. And December 26th is Zarathost Diso, a day of remembrance and prayers in Zoroastrianism, commemorating the death of their prophet Zarathustra in 551 BCE. And there are actually several more holidays in December as it rolls on. This is a month to focus on God by whatever name, tradition, heritage, or perspective you take. But yoga focuses on God all the time. This is yoga's total focus, with all the practices being for the specific purpose of helping you experience God inside. For the experience of God is the greatest of all possible experiences. Numinous, expansive, holy, sacred, all-knowing, filled with God. Bottom line, any experience you have of God, you have the experience inside. Ah, but can you take it? There's a fascinating YouTube video of clouds in the sky changing shape as they are being filmed, shaping themselves into a big head of a guy with a white beard looking down from heaven. The man taking the video is noticeably freaked as his hands begin to shake. He starts to turn the camera away, but can't. And he's saying things like, oh my God, geez, I can't believe it. At the point where these clouds have shaped themselves into a perfect image of God. 
This fellow just can't take it any longer. And he turns the camera away, panning across trees and hills in the distance. After a while, he, he turns back, but the clouds have begun to break up. He couldn't take it, so it went away. Yet the reality is that his experience, though precipitated by an outer event, his experience was happening inside. And his video lets others have the experience as well. For some people, the big guy in the sky is the way they conceive of or look for God. But yogis look for God inside because, well, if your experience is inside, then you should look to where it's happening. And it turns out that not only is the experience inside, but the source is inside as well. While God is in the sky and in the clouds and in light, in the earth and in the waters, in the trees and the stones and all these and other places, God is in you. So the closest place to look is inside. I know that some people don't like God, or maybe they don't like the idea of God. One man said to another, I don't believe in God. His friend said, what God do you not believe in? The first man answered, I don't believe in the guy in the sky who causes a lot of religious wars. And it's always watching, looking down to see if we do anything wrong so he can smite us down. And his friend answered, if I thought that's who God was, I wouldn't believe in him either. I know that some people don't like me talking about God, but ignoring God is kind of like ignoring air. You're breathing it. And your life depends on it. But you ignore it anyway. Even if you ignore the air, it's still there, still essential, still sustaining your life. How incredible this constant supply. But what happens if you recognize it? Why not know? I usually use Sanskrit words in talking about God, or I use the literal translations of these words. It helps to avoid religious overtones or perhaps any religious reactivity. I talk about primordial reality, which is Paramashiva. The foundation of existence is Brahman. Your own self is Swarupa, or Atma, or Shiva. All these terms are used in different times. Your cosmic personality is Purusha. Sanskrit does have a word that literally means God, Ishwara, but it is primarily used when you're asking for material blessings to get divine intervention to improve your life. It means you're treating God as if separate from you, a benefactor that gives you what you want and lifts you up out of your karma whether you deserve it or not. What a great benefactor. Most people do turn to God when they want something, often when they want relief from pain and suffering. They're praying to have the circumstances of their life change. And 
their prayers are answered sometimes. Which times? It's hard to know in advance. So the church will tell you, just keep praying, and maybe it'll happen. Yoga is much more pragmatic. Since yoga points you inside to find God, then inside is the source of your strength. Your capacity to handle your life comes from an inner arising, the power of light, love, clarity, fortitude, commitment. Consistency. These are divine traits arising within you. Where is their source? Deeper, inside. This is yoga's specialty, making you able to dive into the depths of your own being. You find who you are by finding God in you, being there. Of all the yogic technologies, Bhakti yoga focuses on experiencing God. Whether you find the divine outside or inside doesn't matter to a bhakti yogi. No matter the source, when you experience God, it's an inner experience. This is the focus of their practices, to do something that will invoke your experience of God. But they are very clear about it. The experience of God is not so you will obtain the objects of your desires, not even to avoid the painful stuff coming from your karma. The experience of God is so that you will experience God. Only for the experience. Numinous. Expansive. Holy. Sacred. All-knowing. Filled with God. Especially chanting is good for this, quite reliable. That's why we pause in silence after the chant, so you can experience your experience. You are experiencing the divine reality named in the chant. This is an experience of God. Maybe you were numinous after your chant today, or perhaps merely peaceful. Peace is good, even rare. Numinous is better, of course. But it all depends on how much you can handle. It's like the guy taking the video of the clouds. He shut it down at a certain point. Your ability to go with it, to dive into it. Yoga calls that the sweet surrender. It means that peace is a hint of what is to come as you develop your ability to melt into it. How do you develop your ability? Like anything else, you get better at something when you do more of it. Practice makes perfect. That's one of the reasons we call it yoga practice. As you keep practicing and practicing. That's what an athlete does, what a musician does. They do lots more practicing than performing. Yoga is not a performance art. I remember being asked to do a yoga performance at an expo where we had a booth. I said, yes, sure. 
A small group gathered once the announcement was made. I did a vinyasa, a sequence of yoga poses strung together in a continuous flow. Some of you know it, the warrior vinyasa. It repeats, 11 poses done on one side, then the same 11 poses done on the other side, and then you do it again. By the time I was on the third round, I became aware that people were getting somewhat bored. They were looking for something more dazzling, more acrobatic, more performance-oriented. But the pose sequence is about zoning in, not about how you look on the outside. I've seen other people doing yoga downwards, some of which were very slick and entertaining. Personally, I found them boring because the demonstrators, I won't call them yogis, were focused on how they looked. It was acrobatics and quite frankly, Cirque du Soleil is better at it. This means that the poses are about the effect they have inside you. They're about opening you up so you can surrender into the numinous experience that follows. For all the poses are meant to prepare you to dive inside. And you do that in stillness. Not only an outer stillness sitting for meditation, but the inner stillness that deepens into bliss and beingness. In the poses of Swarupa Yoga, we focus on the inner experience. All our poses are dedicated to preparing you to know God, not merely to know God, but to know that you are God. Om Namah Shivaya. That's what this mantra means, is to know that you are God. That's why we chanted this mantra. In this mantra, in these words, you're bowing to God inside. It's not just an inner bow. It's a bow to something within. Verse 1 of the Shiva Drishti says, Asmad rupa samavishta svatmanatma nivarane shiva karotu nijaya nama shakya tatatmane. Let Shiva, who is myself, bow down to his real nature, bowing down to universal Shiva, who by his own Shakti removes the bondage and limitation, which is Shiva. Let's go through that again. Let Shiva, who is my own self, bow down to his real nature. Nama, I bow to. How does Shiva bow down to his real nature? How do you do this? Whether you stand and bow like in Japan, or if you get down on your knees and bow like in India, no matter what direction you're facing, you're bowing to something outside of you. I have bowed many, many times to my Baba. I have bowed to enlightened beings, and I have bowed to unenlightened beings. I have bowed to mountains, trees, rivers, and oceans. I have always benefited from the bow. But how do you bow to your own self? Physically, what direction are you going to face? It's an inner bow. Nama. Let Shiva, 
who is my own self, bow down to his real nature. Okay, so now let me ask, who is doing the bowing? When you bow to your inherent divinity, you're bowing to Shiva within, but who are you that is bowing to Shiva? You, the one doing the inner bow, you are Shiva too. Though you're in a condition of not knowing, you are Shiva nonetheless. Thus, Shiva is bowing to Shiva. Let Shiva, who is my own self, bow down to his real nature. And why bow? Asmad rupa samavishta svatmanatma nivarane shiva karotu nijaya nama shakya tatatmane. Let Shiva, who is myself, bow down to his real nature, bowing to universal Shiva, who by his own shakti removes the bondage and limitation, which is Shiva. In your inner bow, when Shiva is bowing to Shiva. Shiva uses his own energy, his divine Shakti, to remove the bondage that makes you think you are not Shiva. But the bondage that is being removed is Shiva. For you are Shiva, bound by not knowingness, a limitation that Shiva took on to be you, so that you would think you're not Shiva. I'll repeat that. For you are Shiva, bound by not knowingness, a limitation that Shiva took on to be you. So you would think that you are not Shiva. So when you bow to your own self, Nama, bowing, to Shiva within, Shivaya, you are set free. Or as much as you can allow. Ah, we're back to the sweet surrender. Om Namah Shivaya. This is the great mantra of this lineage and tradition. It's not a secret mantra. It used to be ages and ages and ages ago. But those who discovered the full power and glory of this mantra said that it should be available to everyone. So it is the most well-known mantra in the world. This mantra holds enlightenment within it. It's there in the words. And even more powerfully, it's in the divine Shakti that my Baba planted in it. And he got it from his guru, who got it from his guru, who got it from his guru. Every generation of masters, each generation has added their energy, their blessings, their grace to the mantra. It's enlivened by those who used it to attain the highest, to live in numinosity. Ah, but are you ready? Ready for the sweet surrender to your own self? Om Namah Shivaya. Om Namah Shivaya. Om Namah Shivaya. Om Namah Shivaya. Om Namah Shivaya.
ಓ ಸ್ವರೂಪ ಸ್ವಸ್ವಭಾವ ನಮೋ